1: it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is August the 1st, 2011. For newcomers, look into the website CatchingThroughTheMatrix.com and help yourself to the audios which are there for free download. There's hundreds to choose from. And by the end of it, if, you, if you're still pretty sane, you will have found uh, that there's a massive superstructure above government, above all governments, above all media, in fact, it, it owns them both, and uh, and how they bring in their new world order. Really, these are these belong to a system which they often refer to as the parallel government, the one that really works, the one that's not elected, the one that that uh, doesn't have your approval for anything. Not that you know, the other ones do either. But it's as an old system set up a long time ago. And I try and show you the organisations, foundations. And the front's multi-billion, sometimes multi-trillion dollar foundations, which hire and, and own, actually, the non-governmental organizations. They own the United Nations, and they're bringing us all into this new wonderful utopia, where people, some people are more equal than others, as you well know. And uh, it's very much Orwellian, in a sense, but it's got a touch of both communism and uh, fascism in it as well they 're both the same as far as i 'm concerned. They both treat the ones at the bottom like a big army of robots and um, and get you even happy at times by being all one together, losing your individuality in the service of the world state and and so really we shouldn 't get hung up on the words it 's what they do, and the similarities that they have in common. That really points out that if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, then it's the same duck. And that's really what it is. A world of service. That's why you'll be born in the future. And, of course, an elite at the top and a vanishing middle class. What the middle class is to be replaced and is being replaced and probably has been replaced by a technocratic bunch who work on all the electronics and systems which monitor you and uh, etc so that 's the new world order really that they 're bringing in a world where you will serve you 'll literally um, serve the world state and that came from the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations when they set up their organizations a long time ago, and we 're pretty well there it 's a sad thing, but we are in a sense the pros of our world at the bottom, where they give us electronic music, m- music actually made by a machine produced and created by a machine. And we sing along the songs thinking it's all quite natural. That's the kind of world that we live in. They give you the culture. They tell you what to think about. They give you tidbits to argue about. They give you many camps to join that go nowhere actually. You just go around in circles and nothing ever affects those at the top. They're left free really to push this kind of Trotskyite, out. Uh, uh, future uh, program down your throats because that's what Trotsky was all about. You know, the dialectic: if man evolves, then why wait two or three hundred years for a world government? Simply get the dialectic going, get battles going, skirmishes going, and then bring out a body for world peace and dominate the whole planet. In other words, speeding up evolution, as, as they think it's really all about, and they make it happen. If you Make it happen, then you guide the outcomes of all conflicts, and that's what's been happening for a long time. In the U.S. right now, it's all about this new super Congress of a, a, a chosen few, really, who will be in league with the bankers and who will really be working for the bankers, now plonked right in the middle of Congress, and they'll be responsible for all, uh, much the same as Canada. Canada's got a, a governor for the Bank of Canada who's really appointed by the government, to talk to the guys that we loan from. That's really what it is. And um, that's what they're bringing to the USA as well. It's an astonishing system. Uh, the media always gives you nonsense about it and makes you think it's a drama. The drama is all for your benefit. This long, drawn-out soap opera, will they, won't they, will they, won't they, will they, won't they, until you say, please do something. Then they come out and they put the last nail in the coffin of any Law, which is the Constitution, is out the window. Back with more after this. Hi, folks, we're back, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix talking about the big drama in Congress as they keep putting a gun to their heads and then pointing it at your head and back and forth and back and forth. Will they, won't they, will they, won't they, will they, won't they? And presidents coming out saying, oh, my God, there'll be riots in the street and there'll be no welfare checks going out. And it was all lies, too, because, you see, the welfare system has a special drawing right from a different fund, which they already know, but the public don't. And, And they're playing a massive drama to give themselves more power for really, Finishing off the US, and that's what it is, really finishing them off, because the US has been paying for this world organization to bring in its world government for, since it's at the beginning of the, the, the League of Nations, in fact. They, they funded that, the League of Nations, then they funded the United Nations, and, uh, and they pay the biggest amount to the United Nations. Uh, than any other country, plus they put more money across the world to other countries than any other nation in existence. And uh, they're building bases across the world, have been since Reagan's day, because Jean Kilpatrick, when they brought her on board, and she was a real far-left commie, She uh, it's strange that working with the right wing, isn't it, unless we're both the same. But anyway, um, she was the one who came up with the idea of rather than having to go along with geopolitics, knowing where we want to go over the many years... And just going into these countries temporarily. Why don't we build permanent bases and then use them as staging bases for the next countries? And that's what we're doing. You see, we're watching them getting built all across the world. Massive compounds meant to list, list, last, I should say, for maybe 150, 200 years. And you've got to pay for all the rest of them that are still to go. You still got a to go. Remember in Syria, all the same list that was on the the neoconservatives list and the, and the the new American century list, uh, Obama's taking them up too, because it doesn't matter what puppet they put in front of you, it's the same agenda that goes on between houses, and Jefferson said that too. He said that if you see an agenda, the same agenda going on between changes in the House, in mean, I mean Congress, And parties. It says know then that you're under tyranny. But of course, no one reads that stuff anymore, especially not not, especially those who are not who are supposedly running the country. But uh, uh, that's how it really is, folks. That's how it really is. And I've said for years, America for a long time has been nothing but a battering ram to serve a different agency uh, to gain world power. They are the collecting agency. They are the battering ram. They are the army, the shock force. They are the ones with a massive tax base in good and bad times, and they're still using it across the entire planet, but not at home. When It was so obvious when the World Trade Organization and all your politicians from all the countries, actually, signed on to it to say that, yeah, we'd fund, the first world countries would fund, all the third world countries to come up to a certain status. That was the end of it right there. Because they knew that, and then they, they, they sent letters to all corporations telling them that they'd, they'd fund them with the tax money, the, the, the taxpayers' money, uh, to up and move to China. And they'd fund the resurrection of their their systems over in China, their factories, and they'd also fund them for any losses incurred for a 10-year period, renewable after another 10 years, so, and for another 20 years. So, what company wouldn't go where the labor is so cheap? And they said, oh, we'll be a service economy. That's where you buy in baking from another country and you pass it around till it's sold in the cafeteria. Basically, that's what it is, a service economy. You pass things around. And all economists know the true wealth and all the different layers of taxation that also help the country all come from manufacturing. So they had nothing to replace it with. They know how long a a dog will paddle in a pool that it can't get out of, and then you sink. well, that's what a service economy is. That was all discussed in Britain when they, they were the first ones to try it. Those were the words that were used. Eventually you drown, and nothing has been set up to replace it. So that tells you where you're supposed to finish up at the end once you've done it all for this global establishment. But, you know, every government is utterly corrupt, They all belonged to their little secret clubs, mainly one major secret club. And Carl Quigley, Professor Carl Quigley, who was a historian for the Council on Foreign Relations, talked about it. And he did say that every president, and the top honchos around him, were all members of the same club. That was the Council on Foreign Relations of all parties, by the way. And he said they hadn't had an independent person that wasn't a member of this club under its previous names either from the 1880s onwards. Same with Britain and elsewhere. Then I can verify that from the books I've got from the CFR, and Neurology of International Affairs, going back to the the 20s and 30s. They were always about a global governance system with themselves in charge, standardizing every culture along the the world into the same system and uh, bringing in this one world uh, monopoly uh, that they, of course, would reap for their own benefit. And, and talking about corruption, uh, you see, the ones below and, and other, other players too are allowed to be set, uh, corrupt in politics. You, in fact, I don't think honest people can get off in politics and stay there because there's been books in Canada written uh, by people who tried and didn't get, in, did get into politics, they get into the uh, either provincial or federal governments and they put books out saying they were getting set up because the first thing that happened is you're approached by, the, the, you know, the full-timers, the ones who've done a career in politics. And, um, and they try to get you in to see if you're corruptible. And if you are, they're friends with you. But if you're not, they'll set you up in some other another meet your life hell. And you either get out quickly or, as I say, they will definitely get you in a bedroom scene or something or fake something up for you. That's how corrupt it is in politics. Now, Joe Biden has been a lifer in politics. He's worked with all the biggies, the State Department. He's worked and helped to plunder other countries throughout his life. He has various affiliations with uh, different countries, but here's Joe Biden. Here it shows you the 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 the, the nerve of these guys. Joe Biden is collecting rent from the Secret Service, right? He's a landlord to the Secret Services. That's right. The Washington Times reports that Biden has collected $13,200 from the Secret Service since April to rent a cottage adjacent to his Wilmington. Delaware home and continues to charge the agency rent. The Secret Service has agreed to pay $2,200 per month for use of the house in order to provide security to the Biden family. Isn't that a deal? Who, what kind of people would even think of that? Guess. Guess. Isn't that something? So the taxpayer is is funding all of Biden's security and Biden also charges the security their, their rent money since he rents the house out without, of course, (laughs) that's just amazing there's chutzpah for you eh? but that's the way it is, it says so the Biden family, according with Edmund M. Donovan special agent in charge at the Secret Services Office in Government and Public Affairs in Washington Uh, by the way, that's no discount on the rent, the Times reports that the amount paid by the previous tenant was the same, so some of the watchdog types interviewed by the Times question whether this agreement is appropriate oh come on, come on especially given Biden's deficit reduction leadership role. <laughs> well, that's not for him, eh? Leslie Page, spokesman for Citizens Against Government Waste, uh, I could say something, but I won't, said there's no question Biden deserves protection, but this arrangement seems bizarre to me, really. It's alien to you, actually. That's the problem. That's a, that's a problem. You don't really get it. It's actually kind of alien to you. But anyway, that's, that's the chutzpah I got, uh, and it's a live high on the, the hog and decides all of your fates and uh, the fates of the world. Quite something, isn't it? Quite something indeed. And then you get this one too. It says the NIH sends more than 90 million U.S. in taxpayer-funded grants to China. Isn't that sweet? China the big multi-trillion, trillion, 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 ongoing trillion dollar Corporation. The National Institute of Health said more than $90 million of U.S. taxpayers' money overseas to China for various public health research projects, a new report shows. For example, in a 17 million dollar study, a Chinese researcher from the Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention investigated whether 420 prostitutes and 241 of their clients were willing to use microbicides, a class of medications that includes nonoxynol-9, during sexual activity, in order to combat sexually transmitted diseases. They couldn't have done that at home; they to give to China. Some of the prostitutes were only 14 years old. Huh. Between 2003 and 2008, the NIH spent more than $17 million funding the study of AIDS and HIV in Kuyin County, Yunnan Province, China, according to Traditional Values Coalition, which dug up these and other grant records, the single published result. This research is an article entitled Microbicide Acceptability and Associated Factors Amongst Female Sex Workers and Male Clients. So, the U.S. is helping them to push on their communist manifesto here over in china plus of course you didn't know that as they cut back at everything in america uh, you're still funding a lot of their hospitals to get built in other provinces so is britain by the way as the national health service goes down so we're awfully sweet awfully nice to these people and uh, i guess why not since no one complains about it really no one complains this is this has gone forever this kind of nonsense you see it says another NIH-funded program spent three million six hundred eighteen thousand two hundred thirty-five dollars in taxpayers' money teaching a cadre of highly trained research scientists in the tuberculosis and HIV training camp in China. The project's goal was to have those scientists ultimately remain in China and increase their capacity to educate Chinese citizens about public health and epidemics. Isn't that nice? Oh, uh, yeah. And here they're going to borrow trillions of bucks in the U.S., eh? I guess they must be needing it else, elsewhere in China. It gave more than $150,000 to a Chinese researcher between 2005-2009 to learn more about acupuncture. eh? Isn't that sweet? I mean, don't you know all there is in China about acupuncture? Eh? They just can't find enough ways to throw your cash around. She said the researcher was paid more than $60,000 to study the craft at Massachusetts General Hospital. In both 2008 and 2009, she showed the NIH continued funding the research, which was, at that point, taking place in China. Then, it has granted $2 million to a U.S.-based researcher who splits his time between Harvard and the University of Georgia. That the funding supported an attempt to develop a vaccine for schistosomiasis, a parasite spread infection that's increasingly common in China. Can't the Chinese afford any of this themselves? Huh? Oh dear. Back with more after this break. back, and we're cutting through the matrix. And talking about China, too, Now I talked about last week as well, where you can basically buy a green card if you want to invest in the U.S. What they don't tell you, too, is that uh, the first world countries, especially the U.S., will match dollar for dollar, sometimes 10 A1 In fact, to buy uh, part of the U.S. up. It's not bad for your green cards. Now you get yourself and all your extended family, and but it's all your business partners as well. Chinese rush to buy U.S. land that says... Uh, One Chinese office worker paid $8,800 through an online auction by chance and bought 1,000 square meters of land in Miami of the U.S., the Gang Zou Daily reported Wednesday. The Florida-based seller, United Solutions of American, LLC, I guess that's the solutions right are to sell it all off, eh? Said the land belonged to a company near bankruptcy. Maybe it's the government. Zhuang Nua, it says the auction host from the Chinese Property Agency and in Sufin International, said the land seller also put up 100 pieces of 1,000 square meter land up for auction and will offer 30 U.S. investment immigration application forms for the Chinese group buyers who spend more than than two hundred thousand dollars, the one hundred pieces of land sold out on july twenty second from seventy three Chinese buyers, one of them bought twenty pieces, which is just you know, peanuts for them in China because after all their health care is paid by the West and stuff like that but anyway uh, that 's how well they 're doing, and then uh, this article to china 's answer to inflation. This is from Skynet as Foxconn plans to re- reduce our uh, place workers with millions of robots. And it says, Skynet's taken over the market, now appears poised to make labour and wages redundant, and while we hardly welcome our new robotic overlords, we doubt anyone would shed a tear if the House and Senate replaced its 535 corpulent windbags with a bunch of Johnny Fives engaged in binary colloquies. It says, the world's biggest non-debt-based slave driver, Taiwanese technology giant Foxconn, also known as a place where all of your iPhones, pads, iPads, uh, are made. Just announced that it will deal with rising wages by doing what US-based quants uh, have figured out years ago: outsource it to all the to, all, all to the robots. About a million of them. The irony is, that the last time we looked at Foxtron we asked, "What happens when this million re- realizes it can only buy half a McRib sandwich with the money it makes?". Choice of the primary US export to China and demands a pay raise. What happens to Apple margins then? And it goes on and on and on. Anyway, that's the way it's going, uh, and that's how they deal with inflation in China. You just get robots in, and they do the work. It's not too bad, eh? And, is that amazing, those I say, amazing, to see how much is, is going to these countries? Don't forget, under the World Trade Organization, all your tax money is building up Brazil, it has been for a few years now. Uh, that's why it's called an up-and-coming country, an emerging nation, just like China was. And the same with India too, and so any investor is guaranteed through this massive purse, of course, that you all pay into this world purse, uh, that they'll back it ten, maybe twenty, maybe a hundred dollars to every one that you invest. So you can't really uh, fail there if you come from those countries. It's not bad, eh? Not bad. There are deals around these days. I thought there wasn't, but there's there's an awful lot of deals still going on apparently, and. Um, it's quite amazing, too, to, to see that everything in the media, the mainstream that they give you, is propaganda. In one form or another, it's propaganda. Even when they criticize something at times, that there's always a propaganda behind it. And you find even in Britain, where they have had their health care slashed to the bone, uh, because they do want to privatize it, at least the government wants to privatize it, there's also, they're also getting paid to put out bad stories about the National Health Service. There's lobby groups behind it. It says, some irritating headlines today covering a report into competition by the National Health Service's independent watchdog, the Cooperation and Competition Panel, CCP, Na- National Health Service cuts waiting lists by letting people die, was the Daily Meals measured take. This refers to the report's claim that some health service trusts are imposing minimum waiting times in private healthcare care companies, something they're fiercely opposed to because it removes an aspect of differentiation between providers. While the headlines, the headlines in no way reflect the reality on the ground, average waiting times are just eight weeks. Well, that's why I've, not, I've heard some different stuff personally from different people I've talked to, from what, from what are non-emergency and therefore non-life threatening operations. They also completely missed the point of the report. The aim of the CCP report is to force the National Health Service commissioners to give more work to the private sector as they take over, you see. According to David works it director of the National Health Service Partners Network, a private healthcare lobby group, the report would mean his members would be more willing to begin legal proceedings where private companies uh, thought the the National Health Service rules on competition had been broken. The importance of the report to the private sector is exposed an investigation by SpinWatch reported in The Guardian today. It reveals how the National Health Service Partners Network lobbied and colluded with the CCP to get the report commissioned. It's the old story. They bring out the politicians and wine and dine them with 200, 300 pound a plate meals and stuff like that, and there'll be money under the table. This is, and it actually has a little bit of that in here. So I'll put this link up tonight too at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com to let you know how it all works together. But here's another thing too We know we're getting poisoned of course with the food It's all part of the depopulation plan Uh, Stomach cancers, intestinal cancers have skyrocketed uh, uh, over the years And what better to do it than than more and more toxins in your food Anyway, and it's amazing too that no one tests this stuff You're not allowed to test it because your government's all agreed With the poison makers that no one else can test the poisons Because of a patent on it But you're supposed to eat it and be trusting Back on this after this break
2: Listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
1: Hi, folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix talking about uh, the biotech industry and the new uh, corn that they've got out to. And it's just amazing what they're giving us in in our food supply. They've altered everything. This one also creates a synthetic toxin, and it's actually a synthetic weed killer. It makes it itself, plus it gets dosed with the usual roundup. So every cell in the plant is toxic. But that's all right for us. The elite don't eat that stuff. And uh, it says here that... um, It produces a combination of three different insecticidal toxins, one of which is synthesized artificially. That's what synthesized means, generally. Further, the plants are made tolerable to the herbicide glyphosate, known as Roundup. The organizations are filing a formal request for interview review or internal review of the EU Commission's decision, according to Article 10 of the regulation, blah, 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 because the legality required high levels of protection for consumers, while there's none. You won't get it either. This is a must-be deal, this whole genetic modification of your food industry. Uh, governments across the world are passing it like crazy without testing it, and uh, they don't want to test it. They know what it's doing. They know what it will do, and um, that's the way it's going to be. Since farm animals and the environment are not met, and legal requirements for monitoring of health effects have been ignored completely. That's normal. Uh, they argue that the authorization should be withdrawn. May produces a unique combination of insecticidal proteins in the parts of this plant. A synthetic BT toxin is produced. Its toxicity might affect a wide, a much wider spectrum of species than expected. Well, it ends up in you, eh? Further combined effects have to be expected with other toxins and the residues from spraying with the herbicide. These risks can impact both, uh, I won't say can, I mean, you know it does impact both health and the environment. So anyway, I'll put that link up as well and you can have a look at that if you're in the mood for it and hopefully you do it after you've eaten because you won't want to eat afterwards now there's Larry hanging on from Louisiana are you there Larry? you
0: hear me? hi Alan, you hear me okay? yes I can Yeah, you briefly mentioned that Constitution, uh, I think, referring to the United States. I've come to the opinion, and I'm born here, and I was in the service, and I swore allegiance to it and all that, but I've come to realize that I believe that it was uh, no good from the beginning, and I'll give you three reasons. It's a top-down thing. I think it was written by highly educated men to send a fairy-tale, strong delusion into the people's minds so that they'd think they would have a freedom. So what, 51% sends their word to the top to men who can speak for them? Now, no man, it's understood well, can speak for you. If you are sane, only you can speak for yourself. Reason number two, I think it was written to put a cushion between the royals of the world and the people so that the people would believe another delusion that those royals would have no power. Number three, I think it was written to keep the people in agreement with the original murder and theft of the indigenous peoples of this land. So if you see the people being removed from the land today, they're only getting back what they're agreeing, have agreed to give out. Yeah. What do you think?
1: Well, I think you're you're right on, actually. I mean, I've looked at it so many times and read the histories of the ones who supposedly drafted it up in secrecy, mind you. I mean, the, the general public, you know, the people were outside and they weren't allowed in, as you to say to speak for themselves. They're all big landowners. They were granted titles by the royalty of Europe, by the way. That's where they got them from, or their parents did before them. And uh, a lot of them were lawyers. And lawyers don't make mistakes that you could drive buses through or tractor trailers through. They could have sewn it up if they wanted to, but they left so many gaping holes uh, that, that obviously were to benefit a few. But they did say um, they based it on uh, the form of ancient Rome. Now, ancient Rome was not democratic, as you think of it. They had a Congress and they had their Senate, certainly, but it was for an elite only. And they believed um, in, in the, by themselves that... that uh, most people couldn't manage themselves properly. You needed a special oligarchy to tell you what to do. And, and uh, some of them actually said that eventually down the road, maybe they'll be ready for democracy if they can manage themselves, but we kind of doubt it. So I think you're quite right. Um, the world at that time needed a, a, a new, a new uh, knight uh, on a white horse to guide the world into a world government because even Franklin said it. He said... He said, uh, that we hope this constitution, this confederation, he says, will end up being a confederation of the world. So the idea of world government was already there. And, um, and of course, uh, they, they, they didn't give everyone the same kind of rights, etc. Some of them actually said they, would, they wanted a wall between, not church and state, but a wall between the, the Congress and the Senate and the people. And I think that's more true. The only ones who get access to the politicians are the lobbyists and the big corporations. The people don't get access to them at all. Never mind being listened to. So I think it was set up to do a job to lead the world as a a new white knight. Everyone else you see was was known to be corrupt. Britain had plundered everywhere. France uh, had plundered everywhere. Portugal, Spain and others. But, but of course, the U.S. was a new one, you see. So the idea of getting born in a revolution and and actual ordinary people winning their freedoms really appealed to the ordinary people across the world. And so it became a world leader right from the the get-go in in that respect. But you can tell from the very beginning, uh, most Americans do not know their history, uh, that the big boys were already the multi-billionaires by the 1800s. It, wasn't, it was a fairly new country, but they had, they had factory towns across the U.S. It wasn't the Wild West; was a small era on a small part of the U.S. The rest of it was factory towns where you were owned by your factory boss, and that you paid all your your wage back, which was generally in tokens. By the way, they didn't give you cash; it paid back into the company store for your for your food. They even supplied you with your company uh, ministers or priests, and um, the average person doesn't know that at all, uh, uh, the history of the U.S. It was meant for international corporations to, to emerge and take over. Monopoly is the name of the game. So I think you're quite right. Now, the, the white guy is awfully good at fighting wars for everyone else. He never benefits from it. He gets a little tin star, and he's generally quite happy with a bit of tin hanging on his breast. And that's all he gets out of all the plunder that, that, that the big corporations get, because armies are used for economic purposes uh, for their bosses. And when you look at the U.S., it's been used as a battering ram for the whole of the 20th century into the 21st century, and it's going down the tubes. And the ordinary people are getting nothing at all, except down sold down the river. And now, of course, they want the white folk and and the black folk to move into the the reservations. That's what what Agenda 21 is. You have to move into your community, which is reservations. It was done to the to the red man before them. Now it's to be done to the rest. And this new super elite had to take over and rewild all the rest where you used to live for their own amusement in the future, where they'll pop down from helicopters and go hunting and stuff like that, stuff that you can't do. But that's the reality of this world. We're conned all the time. And it is true that Washington, if you look into the history books written at the time, and he admitted it himself, that he started off with a a good acreage or mileage, actually, of land. He owned, personally. And after the end of the war, the Revolutionary War, he owned uh, 20 times that much. It was mile after mile after mile of land. So it certainly benefited them personally as they took over the land and everything on it during that particular war. But yeah, the people were left outside. And that, that famous little quote that they give you when they ask Franklin, what kind of um, constitu- what constitution have you given us, or law system, or legal system? And he says a republic, if you can keep it, without a little smile, apparently, he always used. Um, so they knew the agenda. They absolutely knew the agenda from, from the get-go, and everybody's been used. And it's been so, such an effective propaganda tool that the mass of the public will never get that through their heads. They've all been used um, for an awful long time. They're still being used uh, to keep the world safe, you understand, as you all go under, and um, yeah, as time people do a real clear view, uh, look at the constitution, uh, even that little part that said in it too that all treaties are binding. And I was reading an article today about that too, with treaties to spread wealth across the world have already made, and and they were justifying it through that little bit in the constitution. I thought, well, uh, Just, these guys, uh, one that, yeah. Caveat,
0: Alan, you mentioned the word reservation. People look the. Places they call reservations today that they put the original people on the land in are still called prisoner of war
1: camps. That's right. Yep. Oh, I Thank agree. You, I agree. Thanks for calling. And, and that's what uh, your little uh, community area in your, in your Agenda 21 part is, too. It's a little prison camp, just like the Soviet Union, the test bed, where you won't be allowed outside your area without special passes. And generally you get turned down most of the time. And, uh, there's Joe Marie from California. Are you there? Hello? You
3: know, I, yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um I've been listening to you for a while and, uh, I've been thinking about what you say about how money is a farce and you know it is. And I wish people could see it if I talk about how I think we should have a, a true cashless society, not the one that a, the globalists want to put upon us. I get called communists and, and uh, they're just, people are so conditioned, uh, to believe that's a bad thing and, uh, that's going to be a big problem because we've had money on this planet for a long time that it's scary to think of doing without it. Okay, that's one. Number two, I'm wondering, um Why do you think they chose Brazil and India to be built up? Do you know why it was those two countries?
1: Well, I know know India. Uh, I've got books from the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations, which is the same organization, one in the U.S., one in Britain, uh, going back to the 1920s and 30s. And the one that they had in the 1938 meeting, I think it is, in Australia, uh, that year, uh, all your, all your top politicians from the US were there too, in Canada and all over. And, um, and the bankers as well. But they talked about bringing in, using the, the British Empire as a basis. That was the whole idea of it. And America was to take it over and expand it, which they've been doing. And they said, um, and the, the man from India, the top member from India stood up and he says, when, when will you allow us to, to, to move into the, your countries? And the other one spoke up and said, it's not time out, that the people aren't ready for it yet, uh, to multiculturalism. We'll have to work on them for quite a few years. And he actually said, it probably won't be until about the 1960s or 70s, that was like 40 years down the road. He said, we will, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to start bringing you in, in in large numbers. And that's exactly how they did it, too. So the, the future's always planned by them. And... Um, And when it comes to money as well, uh, money its a con game. It's a pure con game. It's based on nothing. Um, You've got a bunch of international bankers that supposedly lend to the central banks of of governments, uh, the private banks of governments that run the government. And and then, of course, the government has to print up cash and then sell off their, their bonds. And it's the same guys who are lending you, by the way, uh, uh, the cash that buy the bonds it 's going in a big big circle only when it comes back to the bondholders they 're going to get massive interest on debt already. you see and I read an article just recently where uh, Lord uh, Edmund rothschild he gave an interview and he was blaming all the banks for the crash and young guys with, with blackberries and, and they weren 't spending time thinking about their deals they were just doing it fast and then another article right after it, it mentioned that he was one of the biggest bondholders for the United States. He probably owns the majority shares. And he'll do the same with Australia, Canada, and everything else too. So it's an absolute farce and con game because really money was meant to be a, a, a form that would help barter. Where, where two people were bartering, I've got a sack of rice, you've got a sack of corn, let's, let's exchange and decide how much is worth work, with what, uh, weight-wise. And then comes the third man, that's the middleman with a coin. And uh, maybe the first couple of times, he'll give you a coin for each sack. And, and then you start to realize that this is okay, you know. And next time it comes on, oh, no, I, I, um, you, you have to pay me back with that coin and another another one of the coins because it's, it's gone up. The commodities has gone up in price. And once he starts that racket, and that's all it is, is a pure racket of conology, um you're stuck, you're hooked. One generation is all you need to use it on before you forget how to barter, how to get along without it. And once you, you're on money, and this is an ancient technique, even the Phoenicians were doing this in ancient times, they were forcing it on countries that wh- where the, when they were using other countries to invade countries uh, and take over. They, they would borrow, they, in other words, they'd lend to a country, tell them to get an army built up, and then in exchange for debt, they said, say, use that army and go and invade this country over there, and we'll come along with you, and you'll help us introduce our money system to countries that never used money before. And once the folk are using your money system... As one generation goes on, then you start taxing it back from them, and if you can't get it in direct taxes from them, you start taking land and goods, real, real things off them, and it's never changed from then till this day. And the guys, who, the guys who, who work with money are the richest people on the planet. The people who make things and produce things that you actually need uh, get very little at the bottom. So it's an absolute racket designed for the money men, by the money men, and controlled by the money men. And uh, it's time it was all stopped like like we all dug our heels and, and from one day onwards stop using the darn stuff And go back to your government issuing its own cash and not borrowing a single cent from anybody else And if they can't live within their means, it's tough luck. They can't go and borrow That's how that's but it's not meant to be that way There's a small club in this world that you have royalty You have royal managers of money just like you have royalty running countries or, and sitting on thrones, you have royalty who have dealt with this for thousands of years too, uh, at dynasties. And it's time we got them out the picture. But they won't let it happen. They'll have wars before they'd ever let that happen.
3: So how far back does money go? Uh, I, I never, uh, read it in any history but but I'm wondering, when did, when was it introduced?
1: Well, they were using it for maybe a thousand years or more in the form of, um, uh, gold strips or silver strips, because silver was first on the market. And you wound it around your forearm like a bangle. It mentions that in the Bible somewhere. And you could break pieces off or chisel them off and eventually weigh it uh, in, in exchange for something. But 800 BC, they came in with the idea of minting it as coinage. And uh, and, and before that, yeah, as I say, it was, it was just wound in strips. The Phoenicians actually cut triangular-shaped strips of silver and gold and weighted, and, and that was what they used as money. They always used scales for the money, yeah.
3: Oh, okay, so it goes back that far. You think it goes back even farther than that
1: then? Oh, probably. Um, and, I mean, the Phoenicians were on the go for hundreds and hundreds of years, and they had deals with every country as they lent money to them, That as, a, as, a, as the ones who were indebted to them, uh, in payment, they would help them to, uh, bring the Phoenicians in with them when they were going on to plunder another country. The Phoenicians had gold mines and silver mines as far as the Urals in Russia. They're all over the place. And they also, the Phoenicians also had, they took over lands through conquest by using other people's armies, much like it's was happening to America today, by the way. And, um, and they also had factory towns along the coast of the Mediterranean where the people were literally slaves. Try to pay off debt. Just like today.
3: Okay, one more thing before I go, then. Do you, who, do you have any idea of who introduced money to the population on this planet?
1: Well, we do know from the writings of um, uh, some of the Greek philosophers, uh, especially the ones who borrowed, who, who, who often got married to, to, they called it the Levant, women from the Levant, who, whose fathers were moneylenders. Uh, that it goes back to the Middle East uh, thousands of years ago.
3: Okay, well, thank you very much.
1: Thanks for coming. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back and this is Cutting Through the Matrix and this is Clinton from Ontario on the line. Is it Clinton?
2: Yes, I am Alan. Thanks yes. for taking the call. Um, tonight you're speaking of uh, how the USA is the battering ram of the world. Yeah. Now, many of your listeners know this, I'm sure, and even ones who, who don't listen to you know that the USA has been the big brother, so to speak, or the big police agency of the world since World War II. Yeah. Now, ever since then, they have set up Command centers all through the world. Uh, there's one in South America, U.S. Southcom, Africom, uh, Central Command in the Middle East, yep. uh, European Command, and also U.S.A. Pacific Command. Yep. So, in other words, they more or less have control of the world right now, the way it sits. Mm-hmm. Now, Alex Jones uh, mentioned to you last week when you're on a show. He asked you a question of how, how you think they might bring upon the martial law or what would happen. Now, the U.S. Northern Command is definitely going to take control of that, I think. Right. I, I think you would agree there. Yeah. Now, uh, the thing with this that scares me is that um, and your listeners can look this up. They can search it or Wikipedia it, but it, it, it clearly tells you that U.S. Northern Command will take outright control of, of Canada, Mexico, and USA, of course, and they will control the land and 500 nautical miles of each shoreline. So that tells me, Alan, that more or less that, uh, mm-hmm. no one's coming in and no one's leaving in the time of crisis.
1: Oh yeah. And plus two, Kissinger in his speech at California quite a few years ago said the same thing. He said the American people would welcome the intervention of United Nations peacekeepers in times of, of great crisis. And they could be made to be so. So, remember too, you've got all of that on the go. You've got NATO as well, that's got this to come in. And there's also a rapid action, a reaction deployment force as well. I read an article recently, it's a massive uh, army now, they can just call it at any time and fly to any of the first world countries in, in times of crisis. So, you've got all this to deal with as well plus as well as I mentioned last week I've mentioned uh, that different troops have been studying, have been working on Canadian bases for many years now they they bring them in in sections it's mainly an officer class and they're being taught uh, Canadian civic law Now, why would you be giving Russians and other ones uh, uh, courses in in Canadian civic law so they can come back and if they have to come back with all their men at one time, they'll know all the laws in that area or that land etc that's what it's for, they've been doing this for years
2: yeah. Well, that's, that's what I wanted to ask you about is um, with this thing with China um, of coming into the United States and, and not maybe not rumors, but probably fact that they're coming in and buying land up and whatnot. Now, the possibility that I think here is that not only are, are they buying up land, but they're bringing in per, perhaps foreign troops into land. There's,
1: there's actually clauses they have uh, that they can bring in their own people to protect their own estate. And, and uh, that also was for their factories or anything else is set up as well. And uh, what deals with Americans that, that alter uh, all the different treaties, uh, or especially the Constitution and what's left of it, uh, but uh, they, they can actually use American troops to defend them too for any particular reason. Yeah.
2: Now, the thing, the thing I was going to get at there is, is maybe not the American troops because so many of them are deployed overseas. Yep. Now, with this Northern Command, it, there's a strong possibility that they have foreign troops with this command, whereas they will not think twice about shooting a U.S. citizen or a Canadian citizen
1: or a Mexican citizen. Well, to be honest with you, uh, I think even the special multi-jurisdictional task forces, that's all armed forces, including your policemen, who who also get trained over in Afghanistan for Canada, by the way. They get stints over there, the SWAT teams, and they come back in uniforms here. Um, they'll, They'll deal with that job as well. They won't care either who they're told to kill, I think, to be honest with you.
2: Okay, thanks, Alan.
1: Thanks for calling. From Hamish, myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, your God. Go with you.